Yeah, I just recently watched uh, that Bama Rush documentary that's uh, been popping up everywhere. Yes, yes, I've heard some heard some some interesting thoughts about documentary filmmaking, uh, just based off of yeah, it's, off it's, of that movie. it's yeah, it's it's um, I mean, for one, like, I never like criticizing anyone's stuff openly on here, and it's and it's a little bit different because I just I'm from the area, so I know how that kind of some of the stuff is. But it was just, and also it's not really I won't even say it's the filmmaker's fault with certain things. I think also it was just marketed very weirdly. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been I've been the the impression I've gotten is I think a lot of I think someone at HBO Max at Max I'm sorry yeah yeah uh, you know it's I I don't know if they initially paid for the documentary thinking it was gonna be more like all the tiktok stuff you know for anyone who doesn't know every year during rush season alabama rush like blows up on tiktok because so many people who are from outside of that world are just like fascinated with it and i have a feeling maybe when they commissioned the movie hbo max thought that was what they were getting more that's definitely what they like marketed it as more and 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 it seems the filmmaker you know made something very deeply personal and and so then it's just it it a lot of people i think feel tricked and i don't necessarily yeah. think the filmmaker tricked them i think that the marketing tricked them uh for sure yeah well and i i think i think too it's like i i think there's i think the big thing too is like there's the movie goes down like diff like it's it sets up several different things and it can't fully decide on what it wants to really be basically Mm-hmm. And like, is it her personal story? Is it the story, personal stories of these girls? Is it an expose on Greek life, uh, especially Greek life in the South? Is it about this secret society called the machine? And, and yeah, it's it's interesting. Kind of brings up this kind of question of documentary filmmaking of like, of like, what's the correct way to do it? And then also in the kind of streaming era where it's like, documentary, I think has a very interesting uh, niche in the world. I think a lot of people love streaming documentaries. Is that with the marketing side, like, oh, we gotta make this like, like dramatic, almost like the uh, the like I said the Bama Rush stuff like on TikTok, and the movie's really not that. And I don't think the movie's like, I didn't give it a, a high rating on Letterbox, but I don't think it's actually a bad movie. Of what's trying to do is just because it's so kind of all over the place, it um it just feels like it it, it misses the mark on on all the different things it's aiming for. Mm-hmm. It's interesting kind of seeing it from a being someone from there and everyone I know that like is on Letterboxd that went to Alabama is just like this is terrible like one star <laughs> two star like where's my machine expose and yeah and um and yeah but it's interesting kind of seeing uh how that can just turn and again again in the in the streaming age how, how marketing is like we gotta get eyes on this quick yeah let's make it let's make it sensationalized um yeah I think you know speaking of getting eyes on things quick I saw on friday i think fast x hit video on demand yeah and i mean honestly you know it, i think it's smart because they're they're still leaving it in theaters like they're still open to box office stuff but you know spider verse is out now like they're get they they knew when they scheduled it they knew how many weeks they had to yeah. be the top movie at the box office and then yeah. as soon as they got dethroned they're like all right let's start making you know 30 dollars or whatever a video on demand uh yeah. you know premiere rental is all right yeah. let's let's open let's open some options up let's let's open up some more revenue streams so um so that's that's pretty interesting i know i know there's rules to to how soon yeah you can uh, something can can be streaming not video on demand i don't yeah. i don't know if there's any regulations to 
because i mean it was really only like what three or four weeks it was exclusively in theaters yeah but yeah for a movie of that size it feels like in a in a post-covid world this feels like the first movie of that that size to to move that quickly to video on demand and i guess the idea is like if you're not going to go see it in theaters like you would have seen it by by week four kind of yeah it's it's like yeah so it's like if you really want to go see it you'll probably still try to go see it you're not gonna do it on on demand but like people who like will never go this you might as well just let them have it on demand i mean i do think there's something to like with that window growing smaller is that do people will it affect the way people view like the theatrical experience it's like Mm -hmm. used to back in the day it's like when it was like you had to see it in theaters like then you wouldn't see it on dvd for like at least six to seven months or whatever then you could go see it you could go see it at the dollar theater yeah saw a lot yeah. of movies at the dollar theater i see, saw a movie we're going to talk about very briefly in today's episode at the, oh, at the really? dollar theater yep. interesting i we did i never went to the dollar theater because we we had one very briefly uh in in tuscaloosa um for like one of our old theaters and based by that point i'd seen most of the movies before i got to the dollar theater mm-hmm. um and so i but i'd been like, it was like it, it was a theater that was like used to be a big theater that got converted to a dollar theater in its last like year or mm-hmm. two of existence basically because the one theater that came in kind of became like the monopoly on movies in town um because surprisingly for a college town only one movie theater now is the thing mm. um and it's a it's a movie theater that actually i think is the theater for like a lot of the surrounding like counties and cities basically so it's just it's it's kind of it's kind of wild but no like smaller like one or two like there's a there's a historic theater which we did our film at there uh, at the bama theater but like yeah it's it's interesting to see how like because it's just a 16 screen theater that can basically like that's the only thing can be showing showing movies nowadays um in like a town like that mm-hmm. but yeah just get it's 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 a it's it's as we always say out here it's a weird it's a weird time for like the theatrical experience and streaming and what is better and we're now with everything with the strike and everything it's like can you make can you make a lot of money on streaming it's a whole big conversation that we're gonna Mm -hmm. i think continue fighting and and asking for a while but enough about that thomas let's talk about a movie that's not currently streaming anywhere anywhere exactly (laughs) um but you're watching on the tbs app which is how i watched it this week oh wow oh man i i I, i've seen it enough times i I just kind of put it on in the background and i was like i pulled it up at first and i like didn't think about the fact that tbs would have ads and then i was like this movie is three hours and 15 minutes i was like wait what because what? What? <laughs> like a two hour and five minute that would that happened like i remember like god was it like employee of the month was like would be showing on cable it's like from four to seven employee of the month shows. Like, <laughs> why is employee of the month from four to seven that's insane to me like it's not that like how long is that movie now i'm just like it was on comedy central four to seven I'm like, no, <laughs> that can't be right. Um, not a Dane Cook movie going three hours long. Um, it is like a little under two, uh, right, right, an hour and like forty-five. So, I guess County Central really wanted to showcase those ads on Employee mm-hmm. of the Month. Um, but yeah, anyway. But I, I'm Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton, and this is the Nation Podcast. And this month we've been discussing con artist movies uh and thomas what have we talked about kind of this month so far with the con artist genre well we've tried to really establish the difference between the 
we've 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 already spent some time in our heist month talking about the difference between a yeah. heist and a caper but yeah. um but you know I, I think a question we're continuing to ask here is 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 a, is a caper exclusive is, is a con man movie a, a caper yeah well is can anything be a caper um but but specifically with with con movies we're kind of talking about <clears throat> i think the sense of time is is a little bit more fluid in a con yeah. man movie because you're, yeah. you're not you're usually not building towards like one big job big goal yeah yeah, yeah. with it's with a heist it's, it's yeah it's many things yeah, yeah yeah heist is like all in on this one thing a con is 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 you know about putting together a lot of different things all together to to yeah. ultimately uh pull off a con but we we've generally kind of along with the caper we've talked about kind of an idea of of some comedy of some some adventure but also i i think there is probably a little bit more character driven than mm-hmm. uh than i feel like a heist movie is you know yeah um there are definitely some character driven heist movies out there i think the town is probably a, mm-hmm. a good one but there's also some heist movies that are just like you don't need to know anything about these people <laughs> they are doing a job that's yeah. it yeah and uh i i think we'll i think we'll see here you know a, a good deal of characterization maybe maybe even a little bit more than we were given in in the first movie yeah. so um so i think that's something we can we can continue to observe within this genre yeah, and I think with this one too specifically, and this is why we're talking about the Oceans movie because we're talking about Oceans Twelve today. Um, all the fans we got, we gained from social media, Thomas, we might lose because we're doing Oceans Twelve because <laughs> it's so controversial. Um, but uh, is that Oceans movies are like disguised as heist films, but are really con movies? Mm-hmm. Is how I view it, and I think Oceans Eleven is more of the more 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 closer to the heist movie than a con movie and i think 13 kind of reverts back to that but i think mm-hmm. with 12 it's where we really go like we're gonna make a full con movie and the key to i think a con movie versus a heist movie is always in, in its perspective is that who are you seeing the action from and 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 also kind of like the many kind of things you do to kind of pull things off so like when you talk about con artists they always kind of have like oh we can do this or it's like with this it's a bundle of joy mixed the looky loo or whatever <laughs> like yeah. it's it's kind of these phrases like, oh we do this 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 these little things kind of make it happen heists don't always do that uh heists don't always do that but con artists do uh and this is where like they they touch on that a little bit in 11 but here they're really going full mm-hmm. into it and and soderbergh even again switches the perspective of things of creating like flashbacks and then flashbacks of mm-hmm. then you realize you're seeing it from this person's perspective, not this person's perspective. And usually a con movie, you're seeing it from the perspective of the person who's being conned, not the person who's doing the conning is the thing. And that's yeah. kind of what happens in this movie here as we discuss more about it. But that's, and that kind of happens in like dirty rotten scoundrels catch movie can is, is a little bit different, but it does switch perspective a lot from Carl to Frank Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what I'm noticing a lot with this genre. Yeah. So Ocean's Twelve, Thomas. Ocean's Twelve. Uh, for those unaware, it's a 2004 film. Yeah. Uh, starring the cast of Ocean's Eleven. Everybody. You know, yeah, yeah. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, yeah. Joey Roberts, Don Cheadle, Ellie Gould, Carl Reiner, Bernie Mac, Casey Affleck, Scott Con, Andy Garcia. Uh, plus the addition of some new some new actors: yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones, Vincent Cassells, Albert Finney. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple more people joining in. Cherry Jones, uh, Bruce <clears throat> Willis, Bruce Willis, 
Uh, it was written by George Nolfi, produced by Jerry Weintraub, directed by Steven Soderbergh, who had mm-hmm. di- obviously directed the first one. Uh, the summary is after successfully pulling off the heist of a century in Vegas, Daniel Ocean and the rest of his team are pulled out of retirement by a French master thief who's out to prove that he's better than them. So, Brandon, I I gotta admit, I, you you were the one who turned me around on this movie. I um, if if we're getting into the background of it, I I actually really liked this movie when it came out, but I was also, you know. 12 13 um, 12 yeah 13 or 12 yeah 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 i i loved the i loved the first one uh, the first one like blew my mind yeah uh and and saw this one in theaters had it on vhs weirdly enough had the first one on dvd and the second one on vhs i'm not sure why <laughs> yeah um and and used to watch it like a lot and then mm-hmm. it was one of those that like at some point i realized like everyone else didn't like this one Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wrote it off. I, I was like, you know, I, I, I went probably went a while, became a teenager, went a while without, you know, got to the point where I wasn't watching VHS anymore. Mm-hmm. And then was like, oh, everybody hates Ocean's 12. OK, like I'm never going to watch that again. <laughs> and then and then at some time you you were like, you really need to revisit Ocean's yeah. 12. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, completely changed my view of it. And I, and I, and here's the thing. I was in a similar way. Is that I had a very similar like I liked. I I thought it was fine when it came out, and then like you see Ocean's Thirteen. Oh, this is more what I want, and you kind of forget Ocean's Twelve a little bit. And then a buddy of mine, Logan, we, I think we were talking. He and I were talking. He's like, "No, you gotta rewatch it, man. You gotta rewatch it and see. Like it's it's better than you think." And I rewatched it, and I was like, "Oh, this is yeah, this is really great." But initially, go back to even more history with this is that I think this is the first PG thirteen movie I saw by myself mm. like in in theaters because if it's oh four it's funny we talked about the movie theater in tuscaloosa the movie theater in tuscaloosa the big one had just opened up is what it was and i believe i went to see oceans 12 because my dad and that way they were my dad and mom were going to a different movie they brought me into it uh they and I said okay now if you need anything we're gonna be in this movie go come and get us we're like, yeah i'm good and i remember i mm-hmm. sat there and it was i was i got there early so it was like i was the only person in the damn theater and I hear this loud woman talking like as coming into the theater and it's a, it's like, it's opening weekend. It's like a big theater and this lady and her husband sit directly behind me and they're talking the entire time. And I'm just like, you're joking right now. Right. And I just like, I'm a third. I was like, I'm a kid. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I will, I don't want to be rude and like get up and move. But I'm like, well, they're, I'm thinking to myself, they're being rude to you by talking so much. I I think I move like, five seats over or whatever for some reason um but yeah she's just like talking and i just i'll always remember that oceans 13 i had someone answer their phone in the middle of the movie so i've had bad oh, experiences yeah i remember the guy on ocean 13 was just like phone rang answer goes hey hello now i'm in the movie what's up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had somebody um, just just like I, I i was trying to look down to be like what is so important like i just saw uh uh across the spider-verse uh yeah this this weekend and and the person that you know with the kind of the tiered seating we were we were in the like start of the second tier and this mm. person was down in the back row of the first tier and they were just on their phones the whole time and i was just trying yeah. to look down i was like what is so important yeah. right this movie is so engaging it's yeah. like when and i could i couldn't tell yeah. what they were doing but it's just constantly scrolling it wasn't like yeah. like oh i need to send this text message back you and know that- um oceans yeah. 11 was huge for me because i remember my I, I and and like i was nine and and like i i 
my parents would show me PG-13 movies, but never like new PG-13. You know, it was always movies that like they had yeah. seen yeah. several times and like new were good. And I remember they went to go see it. Like, I, I think my sister was old enough at that point. Like we didn't get a babysitter, but like we were like home and they mm-hmm. went to see it without us. And I remember they came home and they were like, Thomas, you're going to love this movie when it comes out. And me just being like, oh, I can. I can see this like, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. This is exciting. And like being so excited for it to like be a blockbuster because I knew they were going to let me watch like a new PG 13 movie. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it's, it's the, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's funny how that's, this is the, the movies in our, in our, our era. <laughs> that's the PG 13 films, but yeah. And so, but yeah, I, I didn't like it that I, as time went on, didn't like it as much didn't revisit it. Buddy of mine suggested like, no, you should re- revisit and watch it. And I rewatched. It. I was like, oh, it's a con movie. That's mm-hmm. that was. I was like, oh, it's a con movie. And the whole thing is about he's conning it. And and I will talk about it too. Is that it's it's also Soderbergh being like, okay, you want me to make a sequel? I'll just make a movie about making a sequel. Is kind of mm. how it is. It's like it's also like kind of a hangout movie. <laughs> it is. It's kind of a hangout movie. There are times this movie I was like, they're just making shit up right now. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's scenes where they're just like it. Either they just have such great chemistry that they can just make it seem so natural, like it's this, it's the 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 scene when like they keep calling the guy a freak or whatever, and he's like, mm. uh, yeah, like and, and they're just like kind of like Dave's like, well, this guy said this, he's like, well, it was it was that guy, right? And they're just like going back and forth. Um, Damon just, Damon says like agro agrophobia, agrophobia, agrophobia. Agoraph- agoraphobic oh yeah yeah yeah. this term freak you know um but yeah they're just it's constantly just like ping-ponging off one another mm-hmm. the entire time um and we'll talk more about damon and stuff later but um but yeah it's just it's it's is a hangout movie it's a full comedy but it, it's sequel the sequel part like and we'll may talk too it's like the opening scene is kind of that key where it's like terry benedict's like um hey i like i want my money back plus interest so basically it's like a studio exec saying hey bring get the gang back together let's make another hit but make it even bigger and he even <laughs> uses the name he goes i'm not the only one looking for oceans 11 yeah. like we're literally saying the damn movie title like like we want another one give me another yeah. one um so it's a very it's a very fascinating kind of how, how and we'll talk about the meta-ness of it all is how soderbergh and and his team kind of bring this meta nature into this movie is the thing yeah so yeah all right um let's dive into it because i right. got some research i there's yeah. not a whole lot out there about this one because it's yeah. like people's least favorite one but yeah. um but i took some, some pretty I cool ha- stuff yeah i have one thing that i know about like possibly on set stuff about a specific actor that couldn't be there mm. a lot and i'll try to bring up later if we if we don't touch on it okay because the, right. they do they do hide it very well in the movie i will say cool uh so needless to say if anyone was alive like us in 2001 uh steven soderbergh's oceans 11 was a gigantic hit Mm -hmm. um you know looking back now it might seem like a sure thing it's like oh yeah you got Clooney, you got brad Pitt, you got matt damon um but you know it was more of a gamble than people may think the original version of the film starring frank sinatra and the rat pack was shot kind of haphazardly during the day as, as they all performed in their various Las Vegas residencies. Mm-hmm. It was pretty widely panned by critics. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the, there's a quote from George Clooney where he's like, yeah, if you say like 
Ocean's Eleven and you talk about the original, and people will be like, "Oh yeah, no, I really like that one." And then you're just like, "No, you don't. Yeah, you think yeah. you do, but you don't." And then they'll think about it, and then they'll be like, "Oh yeah, no, it wasn't very good." Hate, hate that ending. Hate the ending of that movie with a passion. If you want to watch a Rat Pack movie, watch Robin and the Seven Hoods. Much better. <laughs> Uh, but the idea of an, regardless, for some reason, the idea of an Ocean's Eleven remake had been kicked around since the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, but it eventually landed with Warner Brothers in the late 90s who gave the project to Jerry Weintraub. So I could do a whole episode on Jerry Weintraub. Alone. <laughs> uh, this guy's career is insane, but we're going to do some cliff notes because I think it's very important. Yeah. You know, I got to stand up for for producers having having just as much influence on a movie. But um, yeah. So Jerry Weintraub started in the mailroom at MCA in New York. It was a music talent agency. Worked his way up, became a manager, and then left and started his own management company in the late 50s, early 60s. In the 60s, uh, Weintraub managed some pretty notable acts, including Paul Anka, The Four Seasons, and Jackson Brown. Uh, In 1970, Weintraub discovered uh, Henry John Duchendorf Jr., performing in in folk clubs in new york uh went by the stage name of john denver mm. so uh weintraub went on for a couple the next couple of years just made like a household name out of john denver and it, it was just like an insanely great like publicity campaign he world tours tv appearances seven tv specials like he was just just took this guy and he was like i'm gonna make him a star Mm-hmm. And through all of that, Weintraub became kind of known as as kind of the wizard of of spectacle. It was his idea for Elvis to go on a national tour in 1970, yep. kind of after his his music career kind of stagnated with all of his film acting, and and Weintraub was the one that was like, you got to hit the road. Um, in 1974, Weintraub revitalized uh, Sinatra's career after a few failed albums with the legendary main event concert at Madison Square Gardens. Weintraub put that whole thing together. And so as he's developing a reputation as being very media savvy, he meets Robert Altman at a party at John Denver's house. Uh, Altman mm-hmm. was in the process of trying to make Nashville, which was going to be his big, biggest budget date, biggest budget film to date. Uh, but he had developed enough of a reputation as a kind of stubborn auteur that studios just didn't want to work with him at this point. And they definitely mm-hmm. didn't want to give him as much money as he needed for Nashville. Mm-hmm. So Weintraub, in speaking with Altman, kind of fell in love with the idea for Nashville and saw a unique application for his knowledge of the music industry and of entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so he raised the money for the film himself and produced Nashville himself. It was his first feature film. Wow. Uh, through Through the rest of the 70s, Weintraub fully established himself as a film producer, sticking mostly with Indian auteur fare, including uh, 1980s uh, Cruising, uh, 1982's Diner, uh, but then he would find real mainstream success in 1985 with the Karate Kid, and he would mm-hmm. go on to produce all of the Karate Kid sequels. So this kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah. Warner Brothers comes away with the with the remake rights for Ocean's Eleven, and they're like, "Who to who to call?" But the guy who brought back Sinatra himself, you know. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he he knows he knows all about that. So you shook uh, Sinatra's hand. <laughs> that's, thir- that's thirteen. Yeah. So I, I bring that all up to say, like, while I yeah. think much of this franchise success has been rightfully contributed to Steven Soderbergh mm-hmm. being able to craft like this star studded studio flick that also retains all of his kind of indie charm. I yeah. think a lot of credit is also due to Weintraub because yeah. he was able to combine 
his experience with like studio big budget spectacle and also his experience with independent filmmakers to really help usher in this you know vision of 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 Soderbergh's with this insane cast of of everybody yeah um so with all that magic sauce mixed in together uh the first movie is a massive massive success they made 450 million dollars on an 85 million dollar budget uh it's pretty good pretty good profit margin uh notably clooney for the first movie clooney talked the whole cast into taking pay cuts so that their collective salaries wouldn't tank the movie you know (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, damon wasn't quite the superstar yet at that point but but pitt and clooney obviously were and and you know elliot gould carl reiner these these are all names that julie roberts these are all names that command a lot of money yeah um i could see them spending 85 million just in on cast alone yeah yeah so huge success for the first movie um but according to matt damon there had been zero talk of a sequel to the film while they were making it um he said the first thing anybody ever said of a sequel was when they arrived to rome for the press tour for oceans 11 uh soderbergh had never been to rome before and damon said they got off the plane and he just like fell in love with yeah. the city and, and damon said he turned to him and he said we have to we have to do this all again and we all have to come back here <laughs> Screw having fun in Vegas again. Let's go have fun in Europe. <laughs> so I'm sure the studio was begging for a sequel. Like you said, after yeah. the first one, I'm sure they, I want, I want oceans 11. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't sound like Weintraub and Soderbergh were, were actively seeking out a sequel. Um, yeah. Soderbergh went on to do his Solaris uh, remake, which, McClone, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but sometime around 2002, Warner brothers purchases a script from George Nolfi. So Nolfi's first screenplay had just sold in, in uh, 2001. It was an adaptation of Michael Crichton's timeline and was mm. currently in production. I saw timeline at the dollar theater. <laughs> uh, guilty pleasure movie. Big yeah, time yeah. guy. Uh, yeah. uh, one of my favorite Crichton novels. Uh, not a great adaptation, but <laughs> fun, fun movie. Yeah. But Nolfi, so, you know, it's one of those things. He's an up and coming screenwriter. People are meeting with him. They're saying, what else do you have written? And Nolfi had another script uh, that was titled Honor Among Thieves. Uh, he said he had conceived of it as a two-star uh, vehicle. Uh, he really thought it was something for, like, John Woo to do. He pictured it yeah. as kind of like face-off. Mm, um, okay. But in the script, it was about an American thief and a European thief who were engaging in, like, a series of heists to prove which one of them was the best. Yeah. So following the success of Ocean's Eleven, WB gets hold of the script. They send it to Jerry Weintraub and they say, what do you think? Could we get Clooney and Pitt to do this? Mm -hmm. And so Weintraub reads it and he immediately sends it to Soderbergh. He said he knew that Soderbergh wanted to take the crew to Europe. And he said, you know, what if we take this this script and instead of one American thief versus one European thief, it's 11 American (laughs) thieves versus one European thief. It's kind of the diehard thing of like, hey let's just put John McClane in this and see what happens. <laughs> it's kind of what yeah. it feels like. Yeah. But Soderbergh was in, I think yeah. he saw this, this, you know, European road trip movie and he said, yes, I'm in. So, yeah. so, um, I, so it sounds like to all accounts, they, they brought and you know, instead of kind of taking it over from Nolfi, they brought Nolfi in and Nolfi and Soderbergh worked on, on reworking it. Yeah. Uh, one of Soderbergh's main focuses for the sequel was that since the first movie was all about a heist going perfectly, he said he really wanted the second movie to be about everything going wrong. 
Uh, he said he really wanted to see these guys fail and fail and fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Clooney put it in, in, in an interview, while Soderbergh was inspired by a kind of the glitz of like a slick 70s caper for the first movie, he was aiming more for the feel of a 1960s European comedy with this one. Yeah. So after they turned in a draft of the script to the studio and they, they were, you know, good to go. They got the green light. Mm-hmm. Soderbergh and Weintraub start reaching out to cast. The cast, who had all famously grown close during the first film, eagerly agreed. Uh, I'm pretty sure, you know, a paid European vacation and an yeah. offer to stay at Clooney's uh, Lake Como estate. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really, really thing. sweet in the deal. Yeah. The only person who was hesitant to return was Matt Damon, yeah. uh, who had just finished filming The Born Supremacy, and, Born Supremacy and said he was just exhausted. Um he agreed to return, but he called Soderbergh and he was like, can you please just like write Linus out of it? Like, I, I, I want a very small role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soderbergh oh. replied with, well, I'm already done with the draft and Linus is the main character in this <laughs> one. So See, I'm I not heard, changing yeah, it. <laughs> I had heard it was the opposite that he didn't want a bigger. That's interesting. OK, yeah, that, that I, out I saw I saw an entry on IMDb where somebody was like that Damon had called Pitt and it was like that's what the scene in the plane was like reminiscent of like damon called yeah. Pitt and was like can you get me a bigger role in the movie but i read i read several interviews that that speak yeah. more to, to this line of it was well, just it, like it, it makes more sense that he's got he's become a bigger star he's like look i don't like just make me be like a cameo make me make, make me be like the carl reiner where i don't i don't show up or whatever for a mm-hmm. bit and then show back up at the very end or whatever yeah i could see, i could see that happening and Soderbergh's like, well, you know, you have the most character development of anybody in this <laughs> script, so I'm not changing it now. I mean, actually, the Ocean Trilogy is really just is it's 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 really the story of Linus becoming a master thief mm-hmm. or master yeah. con, con artist. Actually, is the thing. Yeah. So, so Damon was tired, but he agreed to do it anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the script was loose at best. Uh, Soderbergh and the gang were really planning on leaning on improv for the yeah. film. It was something they didn't do a lot in the first movie, but had grown yeah. comfortable with in the first yeah. movie. Um, but just before shooting began, one major rewrite was required as Julia Roberts found out just before production that she was pregnant with twins yeah. and that she would be showing by the end of production. Yeah. You know, Normally you try and shoot someone's scenes out, but with the way this movie was hopping from European city to European city, you can't really do that uh yeah so the entire final act of the movie had to be reworked to account for drew roberts being pregnant when they shot the third act Mm. so that leads to some interesting final scenes so let's get into favorite scenes for this movie i mean first i mean i love the opening of this movie Mm. like i just love i love all of when the whole kind of terry benedict showing up and then him like going after one by one but There's like water in the basement and the pilot light yeah, is out the pilot's out. yeah um but i love like the david holmes score in this movie mm-hmm. i think it's the best score of the entire three films yes i think agreed. 12 has the best <clears throat> score that score opening, and soundtrack the, and the soundtrack. kind of like yes, french yes. and italian music that they use along yes. with his score is all great yeah but that's i i re-listen to that score of that beginning part it's like 165 million plus interest and mm-hmm. it's just like and it's like the way it's moving and it's like building and then it's like you Clooney's running with, he throws the flowers down. He's, he's on the, he's on the train and, and you're coming back and Terry Banks, like, I'm not the only one looking for oceans 11 and like puts his <laughs> cane on her shoulder. Like, I mean, you're just like, Oh, we're in this. Like we didn't, mm-hmm. they did not waste any time 
throwing you back into this story, which I just it's it's wild. Yeah. Um, and but then you just, also like, got that that one like French song they use as like kind of the love theme for for, for Isabel. For Rusty, and, yeah, for Rusty yeah. and Isabel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the, so the, the, with the opening with that definitely drops you into this kind of like European feel yes. for the movie for yes. sure. Oh yeah, the opening the opening part too. Yeah, when they when they and also kind of that I forgot about that opening part because that is the opening part actually. Is that when they when it's Rusty and Isabel when they're like a few years ago or whatever mm-hmm. that I also love because that's also setting the tone of like what this movie's going to be it's going to be it's going to be this kind of like european type i don't say spy but just kind of more more like like con artists like on the run type vibe in a way mm-hmm. um but no again i just love how we reintroduce everyone because you're kind of seeing like what they all have done with their money now is the thing mm-hmm. and seeing the type of personalities they are is like i mean i love <laughs> again i love the brothers when when casey affleck's goes like oh, i don't think my thank my mom my dad um mr bill um my neighbor uh jim and uh, jim and annie thank you so much and it gets this guy cosby and everyone else everyone else is- <laughs> <laughs> and Andy garcia comes in he's like let's talk about responsibility mm. and he's just like so we have to cancel tell that, your- that that wonderful honeymoon to epcot, epcot center epcot center like the way he like just almost like he, he despises it. Yes. That he Terry has Benedict say, does not care for like, Disney adults. That is that is for sure. Epcot Center. Like <laughs> it's like he's so just like really. Like, okay, Terry, you you live and and work in Las Vegas. Come on, who are he's you just, to judge? He's just like that wonderful trip to Epcot Center. Um, <laughs> and and then like again, I love I love when he's dealing with Livingston Dell at the comedy club, and. <laughs> Thanks for letting me finish. Hey, what can I say? You're a funny You're guy. Funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And then just even like, like Andy Garcia is eating that 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 roll up and that and just those mm-hmm. sequences when he's playing the piano and Don Cheadle is like, uh, mm-hmm. and then he's speaking like Mandarin to to uh, to um, to 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 Yen or whatever. Yeah. Oh God! It's it's really just like. Andy Garcia is he, not in it much, but man, does he just put on a show in this first like mm-hmm. five minutes? Of this movie, it's like it's almost like it's, it's, it's it. They, they 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 make Terry you know a, a human in the first one, but but you yeah. do kind of you do kind of see him starting to like unravel in that in that first movie, you know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and by this one, he's just like an old school like mustache twirling villain. <laughs> yeah, he's just like he he's like. And we, yeah, we talked to Vince Gazelle later. He was just like, I want uh, everything back in interest. But then the interest kind of guy, he's like, it's the principal. He's like, no, I, I want them to pay. I want them to pay. Um, but yeah, and then again, again, showing Rusty where like he now owns the hotel. Because that just seems like ho- Rusty is like. Fantastic toe for grace. I uh, agree. Cameo. Totally phoned in that Dennis Quaid movie. Like one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like that movie. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's what he's saying. Totally phoned yep. in that Dennis Quaid movie. I love her, man. I love her, but she's driving that's, me insane. That's such a good joke from that first movie, and that you know, it's it's all these like TV stars, yeah, and I quit, and, I quit and, the show. and Brad Pitt, and they're all more in this world. They're all more famous than Brad Pitt. Yeah, um, it's, that, it's that scene when him and Clooney are walking out, and the paparazzi's following those and the big Topher two Grace big stars and the guy from world. Seventh Heaven, <laughs> yeah, and Joshua Jackson and everything, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, but yeah, and then just and then the the kind of moment when they all come back together and meet and it's like they're all upset like bernie max just like why'd they say it was ocean's 11 i'm yeah. an independent contractor like what do we do t- well, we, we t- all agreed what to call it the benedict job it, it was the Bella- yeah, it was it was the, the bellagio heist or whatever 
He's and it's like and then they're going about how much do you owe? It's like and it comes to Elias. Well, I've spent about one million dollar on development and with interest seven million. God, the interest really gets you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and Livingston's like, how much without the interest? Eleven million. I I have all that. I've been living with my parents. <laughs> um, and then it's the and then Rusty being like twenty five hotels, man. <laughs> so, so does that say that he borrowed money from benedict is what it is is that like it's like how, I, I've i don't think from benedict i just think he's that far in the hole that he needs that, that much before he could even give Bar- away yeah, 11 give away, yeah. yeah okay yeah so i was like did he just like borrow like money from benedict of like hey like he like, and benedict's an investor in the hotel or whatever <laughs> uh which i thought was kind of funny um but yeah i love that kind of whole thing um and yeah and then and then and they go off to amsterdam and that's that's the beginning of that so what's the scene for you i guess early on or whenever uh i mean i think all the all the rusty and linus stuff is yeah. is so much fun you know when he comes up to him in the airplane and and uh I'm so happy i can talk to you if you didn't i'd, be, I'd still be asleep yeah. Still be asleep. <laughs> yeah i almost didn't come up here <laughs> I'd still be asleep. Uh, and then, you know, they do the later in the train station. He's like, can I ask you the question? And then he starts. And he's like, don't don't start it. Wait for me to, to say whether you can ask me or not. Why would you even ask me? Unless it's a rhetorical question, then yes. Can I ask you? Yes. <laughs> uh, and then and then, you know, the Matsui stuff is just. Yeah. So that's what I, yeah. <laughs> Robbie Coltrane. Uh, yeah. Ca- Dan- ca- cashmere. Really? <laughs> like, it's just the 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 rhythm that that Clooney and Pitt have in this movie. Damon yeah. is the perfect foil. Yes. They are. They, the two of them are just so fast, rapid fire back and forth at each other. And Damon is so always like unsure of himself and, yeah. and, and stuttering and stumbling over his words. And yeah, um, it's just, it's perfect. The three of them all together. It's just Linus sticks out like such a sore thumb. I love yeah. that when they, when they <laughs> cashmere, really come on. Yeah. Cashmere, really come on. What, what are we doing? You call it, you, you said his sister, or it's like it was his niece who's who's like mentally like it's the way she's like he called her this or whatever it's it's uh he's like oh i didn't, I didn't know that i said that in there i said that yeah da- again damon's just again they, they established that kind of damon pit thing early on in the first one like with the whole like damon's kind of like watching terry and you realize that kind of damon's this really good at recon type stuff mm-hmm. but yeah damon and this is just like re- it's so much fun like i said it's really is just kind of the arc of of Linus becoming this master thief and them trusting him more and more um, as the series goes on. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just, and then it, it builds, it goes into the, when they're talking about the, the freak and he's just like, he's just, you can tell he's like getting really antsy. Well, we had to become a freak. Like, I, just, I don't, I don't think like, we're the type I, of organization, organization that goes around. <laughs> it's got kind of, it's like, we're an organization now. And he's just like, I just t- like, like, like stealing from a, a mentally challenged guy or a mentally handicapped guy or whatever he says. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's just, so, he's so much fun. And just like, and, and all the reviews you sent me, it's like, they kind of described him as like a puppy dog is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's a puppy dog. He wants to become a dog basically. Um, and that's a great kind of exp- uh, expression or to describe Linus in this. I um, love I love Soderbergh's use throughout of like still like like freeze frames. Yeah, but the yeah. moment I I love the whole scene when when Isabel comes into Rusty's apartment and it's their their first or Rusty's hotel room and it's their first time seeing each other in years, and um, 
you know it's he he's been following her but she's been taking photos of him the whole time yeah uh, was it Th- thief a la mode that picture yeah. of him eating ice cream ice cream yeah but that freeze frame of the face that brad pitt makes when he realizes that she's stolen his phone is yeah so good. yeah it's a mm, shit it's like kind of what it is <laughs> um and yeah, and I love to. Is this is, is the one where like when when Clooney and him are like because I always kind of that moment where they, they walk somewhere and kind of discuss stuff. And this one is like Clooney's still talking and Pitch just like has left him there or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And then we come into like kind of the introducing the Night Fox, and it's like I love the kind of jump. It's interesting. The, again, the structure of this is so fascinating. Kind of how they use time. You talk about how time being fluid. Is it like in this movie? There's a flashback within a flashback, which is just kind of wild. So it's like, Kansas Jones gets the idea that like that this this guy's been robbed, and she's like, "What?" Uh, and then it cuts to her investigating the guy's house. To then flashback to when Clooney when Ocean when Ocean's Eleven they're robbing the place. To realizing that Night Fox got there first. To flashing back to Night Fox calling Terry Benedict like a week before mm-hmm. and then we go back to present it's just it's kind of wild mm-hmm. and just and then that brings in um Minza Cazale as the night fox as uh to lure um who's also great in this um, yeah you know i i've i've um, part of me as a as a as a film aficionado feels weird saying that this is the first movie i ever saw vincent cassell in but same. also you know i was 12 i wasn't watching lane yeah <laughs> as a 12 year old but no yeah i think i think he's great and well and there's more scenes with that but like i just think he, he's coming in and, and and him and him and uh Clooney when they meet and it's like the competition begins right at the midpoint right at the, it's a well against a well-structured movie for what it is um while it's still being very loose um and it's the like okay midpoint competition begins what are we what are we stealing or whatever mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful location um you talked about earlier how like uh uh Soderbergh was trying to do like a 1960s european comedy it's funny how some of these movies they always kind of feel like throwbacks in a way the three we've covered because like catch me can feels that way I know Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Frank Oz said like I was trying to make like a 1950s style movie for it. Mm, it couldn't mm-hmm. feel modern is what it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Dirty and, Rotten Scoundrels is all like uh, like it's got like the Lady Eve vibes to it. Yeah. Almost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's kind of just like he goes he goes in, in 1980s con artists. They'd probably kill each other is the thing. Like, <laughs> this it's about about respect and being like a, a code or whatever. Um, Honor among and, thieves exactly exactly <laughs> uh, but that but i love the little hints because you come out later just like them hinting at what's actually happening beneath the surface because once it gets to the midpoint that's when like everything you're seeing after that is a lie essentially where mm-hmm. it's like it's the moment when they're at the when they're at the train station and you just think like you're not thinking to yourself why are they at a train station because it never actually tells you in the moment why they're at a train station mm-hmm. you think they're like you think they're all just like waiting for like yin and they're like waiting for the bag to show up that's all you can think about because they're calling driving out where yin is the teams in madrid the bags in barcelona or whatever he says um but i, I love that bit when they're just like talking about like i mean i can't believe like, they thought i mean who who think the 250 or 50 or year olds are playing playing soccer or whatever and clean <laughs> like rusty's not 50 yeah yeah damn we you think Rusty's I'm 50? Not 50 you think i'm 50 no, let me actually no, let me ask you something how old do you think i am 48 you think i'm 48 53 <laughs> so should ask me i, I 
hit a man when he's down. He just put he just put Yen in a, a handbag. What are you what are you talking? Or no, 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 like, he's like, he's like what, what are you upset? He just put Yen in a handbag. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, and then it's just that that's a great moment between all of them. We're kind of ping ponging back and forth. Um, and again, the way Soderbergh shoots this is just is just fantastic. Like it's it's really incredible. Like I there's a shot I always think about when 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 Danny wakes up when he gets the the 11 p.m. wake up call from from Talur and he downs five things of espresso but mm-hmm. it's like the shot of in the bed like the light coming in the ca- the, the the camera's almost on the bed looking up at him and it's just just a, a great like he just he composes shots so well in this in, in yeah. all of his films yeah i mean you know that's the that's the incredible thing about this series is you're getting you know hollywood hollywood's best but also yeah. you're getting these like incredible indie visuals uh yes. auteur work from steven soderbergh exactly <clears throat> um right uh trying to think where where we're at in scenes i mean you know you get into <laughs> once you get to rome and it all starts falling apart it's it's yeah. all just the 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 pace i feel like for for a movie that's like very yeah. uh leisurely and kind of floats for a lot of it when everyone by the time everyone gets arrested in rome it is like so it's it's like a train barreling towards the end at that point you know yeah the, the look like when, when when they start going when it's Cheadle, Khan, and damon which is really just a really fun trio mm-hmm. like it's like the it's like the three you don't expect to be together but yeah. they're just they're really great like it's a bundle of joy and looky loo we don't oh we don't, we, not enough people not enough people <laughs> who died and made you danny, danny. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry i'm sorry <laughs> And it's like you know, but like, but Tess, she, you know, she kind of looks like, oh, never say that, never say, that. but she does. Maybe we, and it's like, and I remember in theaters when watching it, and the whole like Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts, and I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? Because they don't, they don't come like outright and say it. Like, yeah. like there's, they're, they're just kind of like, a, oh, it's, it's, all, it's a separate character. Says Julia Roberts is showing up, and you're like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, do do be her, be her in four weddings and a funeral. She's like, she I, wasn't in four weddings and a funeral. I, I, I wasn't. wasn't in four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> oh god, it's uh, and 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 honest to god, honest to god, Julia Roberts. This is such as a like just like a, a a small thing, but possibly one of the best performance I've ever seen her give. Is when Bruce Willis walks in. When she screams. And she looks genuinely surprised and in awe of Bruce Willis. She's like, I love you. I love you. And Damon and Damon does it well too, but she's just like a oh, oh. Like she's the way she like freaks out. I was like, she's never seen Bruce Willis for in her life, it feels like. And she's like just so excited to see him. And they play uh, and Damon again, Damon is so great. When he's just talking to Willis, like when he's talking to Willis about Julia, he's like, "Yeah, we're, we're getting the we're, the baby thing's gonna be really good for us. Once the baby gets out, like she's gonna start taking some roles like that. Once she starts seeing that golden statue, like smiling at you, just want to get back out. You know what I mean?" And Willis's like, "No, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't." And at the end, when they're just like, when they're talking about six cents, oh yeah, I knew it when that when uh when when you were at the table, you know, you knew that then. He's like, "Yeah, like it was just like I I but it it really it still held up. It still was good. It still was like." It didn't ruin the movie at all for me. And then Willis is like, we makes four hundred million dollars domestically, and everyone wants to have a great idea about this. <laughs> Willis is great in this movie. He he really is, is very charismatic, and like it's again, it's such a wild thing to do. Like Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts, Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis. Is mm-hmm. there a Brad Pitt and uh, George Clooney in this world? Is my question. I did and, I did find in my research. I found this article that was like 
the reason this twist is like world breaking is it's like okay you've got this team of 11 men and they all look like the biggest hollywood stars, stars in the world how are they getting away with, with it, it. <laughs> that's that that would be like if they ever do like an oceans 14 it's like brad pitt's like been arrested because rusty has like done something terrible is what it is i don't know mm-hmm. um, i always i always felt that way about the the you know the world within 30 rock it was like 30 rock yeah. was obviously like not set in like the real world like these weird things would happen every once in a while but like they'd make like a friends reference and then yeah. like character actors from friends would friends be on would the show, show and i'm just like yeah. how does this universe work yeah um but yeah but then so we get all that and then we get the, the they all get arrested and they're all in all in prison um and then the last 30 minutes i'm at like the, a train barreling towards the end it's just like reveal after reveal after reveal is what it is of the like why they've gotten arrested the stuff with lias's mom the the how to lure does does the heist realizing he didn't do the heist realizing it was this all along it's just like so much is happening and the moment you're like what the going on right now it's like what kind of feels like the first time watching it because it's just moving you're realizing that all the stuff you've seen has kind of been alive the entire time Mm -hmm. and you've and that but that's what makes a con movie is that you're it literally spends like almost a half hour (laughs) of like oh actually lamarck is actually uh isabel's father and Mm -hmm. he's the one that's set up to lure and it's this the the whole time it's been traveling the whole time it's been like everything you've seen he says everything once you once once the competition begins realize that he's going to be surveilling you so you have to make a very elaborate uh scheme to make him believe you it's like so much is happening you're like wow and and again first time seeing it it's it's bombarding you a lot is the thing and that's i love the uh i love the chemistry between Clooney and joey robert It, it, it really feels like the first scene that we've really gotten like because of you know they're at odds with each other in the first one and then in the second one like the scene when they're at lake como at at, at his at his thing is like they're so good together and it's really the first time we've really gotten them together and that's that that great you're right you're right she's like she's like what what if i what if i say i think he's the best thief in the world but i really mean it's you and he's just like i can hear you (laughs) (laughs) and there's that great casals fits in great with them but there's the you know when Clooney when they've realized that that Clooney's won and, and Danny's like, you know, your, all your paintings are in so-and-so safety deposit box. And he's just like, yeah, code yeah. is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Six, and six, he's four, like, six, four, six. And he's yeah. like, and he's like, he's like, that's, that's actually, that's good. Right, I don't know right. how he did that. <laughs> and he's just like, wow. His, how, how'd you do that? He's like, not enough. One story for one night. Is enough yeah. or whatever. Um, but speaking of that part, the, the, the laser dance, Mm-hmm. I listen to that song <laughs> still so much. Like it's still on my on repeat like thing on Spotify. That song I listen to more than I should is the thing. <laughs> Cause it's just and, and even today when I was playing at the end of it today, I was just like I was moving with it. Like it's mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a great song. <laughs> and Casella is so it's so good. It's so good. And I love when 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 like when Clint's like, wait, you did that? How 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 did my recon team not see that? And it cuts to Khan and Casey Affleck, and they're fighting over like the the night vision goggles. And I love mm-hmm. Khan. Just like, I'll pay you a million dollars if you don't speak. A million dollars, a million dollars. We don't speak ever. <laughs> oh yeah. god, but yeah, it's it's just it's great. Where you just it's reveal after reveal, and it's it, I love it. And I, I think it. it's a really nice moment. I think with with Albert Finney and uh, yep. Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah. Jones. She's like, where the hell you've been? And he's like waiting for what for this 
uh and you got that that same kind of like love theme playing yeah. underneath it it's great it's so good um and and i really like the way that ending with like rusty leaves her with her father and and, and yeah. goes and yeah. then you're like oh maybe that's the end of their story and then she shows up to the to the poker well, game yeah well, i always thought that too but what actually does it, it's an interesting shot because you see him put the bag down and you think he's about to leave but if you pay attention he actually just puts the bag down and then leans against the wall and oh, watches really? and watches. I've, I've always thought that he like. Well, I always thought he okay. left too. I didn't. I, I thought he always left this time. And I watched it. Like, oh no! He just leans against the wall and watches them. But mm. he, it looks like he's about to like put the bag down and leave in the in the close up of him. But in the wide shot from behind, you just see him lean against the wall and just and watch watch them as they mm. embrace. And okay. I was like, oh okay, so he's 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 with her to he the end basically. But yeah, also a quick thing I noticed in the casting for this movie was Deborah Zane, and she also was the casting director for Catch Me If You Can. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So there you go. Good advice. And then, yeah, right. and then, and then love the ending with the cards. Like I, that ending right there feels like either they shot that later and they're all reuniting, or that was the first thing they shot. Mm. There's mm. me about because they just feel so like happy to see one another, and they're all just like. Oh my god, it's so good to see, and it all just feels so natural. It's a, just... it's a really nice. I think it's a nice nod to the Bellagio fountain scene from the one before, without yes. repeating it. You know, it's this, it's this idea yes. of like, let's get them together to celebrate, but yeah, we're well, we're gonna it, do it different than we did it last time. Yeah, and the fountain thing is more about like, see you when I see you type thing. Like mm-hmm. it's all of them like going apart. Probably, going, probably going yeah, away. we're probably never. This is probably the last time yeah, we're all together it, again. Whereas this feels like they're like, all right, we're we're, we're friends a crew for life now. here. Yeah. yeah, we're a crew. This is we're we're together. We really are Ocean's Eleven. No independent <laughs> contractor stuff. Now you told me that your wife said that he called it Ocean Eleven. Now who decided that? I'm a private contractor. It was a collaboration. That moniker is insulting. Yeah, I mean, Danny, it was one job that we did together. So I don't know where this whole like proprietary stance comes from Wait, it seems a little possessive one could know? make the argument that because it was in fact danny's idea maybe no, well, hang be- on a minute we all had our own areas of expertise i mean without us it don't leave your head mate it just hurts you know because it seemed like we all agreed to call it the benedict job i mean that's what we called it when we were doing it you know? right. <laughs> if you wanted to call it something else all along then Wait, when you have a problem who do you go to Rusty. Rusty. Thanks, Linus. Let's get back on the topic. Based on what we stole, plus interest, how much does everybody owe? $17.34 million. Assuming Benedict gives us prime plus one, which I doubt, figure 19 to be safe. Let's do a little on-set life. Okay. Uh, The on-set life for this production actually became something that was weaponized against this film by critics who oh, didn't wow. care for it upon its release uh any negative reviews for it you you always see someone bring up it's like oh it's just a bunch of hollywood elites getting paid to hang around with each other in europe <laughs> they're they're yeah. all staying at george clooney's estate at lake, lake como. como yeah um and i mean that is that is what happened but we'll, yeah. we'll talk later as to whether that adds or detracts uh to the movie you know yeah um but really from watching, I, I watched a lot of the behind the scenes footage and to, and to watching the footage from this film is to just see a group of friends just hanging out with each other. There's there's scenes when like the the you know, most of the 11 aren't needed on set and usually they would be off in their trailers or something and they are just all hanging out behind camera. They're throwing out ideas for lines. They're egging each other on. They're teasing each other when they flub a line. There's, there's one shot of like, I think it's when they're, when they're showing that 
that Linus has gotten arrested. There's a shot where he kind of like the camera's static, but Linus kind of walks into frame and then like sits down into frame. And Matt Damon keeps missing his mark. And all the guys are just like behind the camera. Like every time he misses it, they're all like, oh, no, no. And then they'll have to like <laughs> reset and do it again. And um, there's there's one where like Brad Pitt's just off camera and and Clooney like flubs the line and Pitt like tackles him, like yeah. <laughs> flies into the frame. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just uh, it, it was a, you know. It, there's a lot of camaraderie in this movie. Yeah. Um, there's even some footage of Clooney working the, as the boom op in the scene when Damon Cheadle and Con are coming up with the Drew Roberts plan. Like he should oh, wow. not have been on set that day. No, he should be enjoying <laughs> himself at Lake Como. What are we talking yeah. about? <laughs> He's just holding the boom like right up to him. <laughs> um, also on set, uh, you might know if you've if you've heard about any of the movies that Clooney and Pitt work on, either together or separately, is that both yep. of them are notorious pranksters. Yep. Uh, so their prank war might have reached ahead during this production. Um, that's, what I, that's what I heard. I don't know what the prank is, though. So Just before filming began, Pitt had a memo sent out to all cast and crew other than Clooney that said that Clooney was going to be method acting for this installment and only wanted to be referred to as Mr. Ocean by everyone on set. Uh, <laughs> This apparently carried on for a couple of weeks before a confused Clooney caught on, and he retaliated by putting a small penis on board bumper sticker on Pitt's car. Uh, the prank war between the two kept going until eventually poor pregnant Julia Roberts was swept up in the collateral damage. Oh, no. Um, the cast luggage was transported kind of together. like They had like a luggage bus that would go yeah. from, from city to city, and Clooney was doing some recon and saw Pitt grab a set of luggage and take it into the hotel. Mm -hmm. And so thinking it was Pitt's luggage while they were in that city, Clooney bought a bunch of bronze souvenir statues and on the next uh, city move filled that set of luggage with bronze statues. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out that Pitt had been very courteously carrying uh, the luggage for the very pregnant Julia Roberts. Mm -hmm. and so the oh, next no. time she went to get her luggage it weighed like 50 pounds heavier uh, than it had oh, been no. before uh so then she retaliated against both P Clooney and Pitt by getting into their luggage and sprinkling itching powder onto all of their clothing oh wow that's yeah that's that's coming to a head all right <laughs> so yeah I'm overall it sounds like everybody had a had a good time well, uh the one thing I have, do you have anything yeah. about Bernie Bernie Mac on your thing? I, I know he had he had scheduling conflicts, yes, which is why he got Well, he got sick during this uh -oh. one. He got sick. So it was so he essentially it was early signs of what he ended up passing away from. Mm -hmm. Um so he basically um I think he had like double pneumonia or mm -hmm. something. because uh, he pa he he passed away from contracted pneumonia in his lungs. Um and just suffering from exhaustion but he that's why if you watch the movie you'll notice he's not in it a lot like for one they send him aside like oh he got arrested so he's mm -hmm. been in jail so occasionally they'll cut back to a shot of him in jail but like he's only really there in the opening when when, when terry sees him he's there uh when they had the big group like kind of plan we're going to amsterdam um early on when they're in the when they're in the uh, the hotel when they're talking about what they're going to do to rob the guy or whatever mm -hmm. they you notice that bernie's not there and someone like at the end's like hey frank get out of the bathroom, go, right? he's in the bathroom yeah. um they do a shot of him with them in the night like, doing at, in the um apartment when they're getting when they're stealing thing for the night fought where the night fox beats him or whatever 
They have a very quick shot, a solo shot, which was probably shot later, of him in the boat with Yen, like when he's like talking to him. Mm-hmm. And then he's gone until the very end of the movie. He's in a separate jail cell than everyone else. And then he shows up at the very end. So he, they really hide him well to hide that he was sick and out for a good bit of production. Because mm-hmm. I just remember when the movie was coming out that I had heard that he had been sick and why he couldn't do he couldn't do Ocean's Eleven that much or twelve that much. And I think they even postponed like Guess Who with the uh, with Ashton mm-hmm. Kutcher because of it. So it was a lot of stuff. Because he passed away in 08 is what it was. So it was after mm-hmm. the third Ocean's thirteen. But this is like early signs of of him being sick uh mm. for this one. That yeah. that's what I remember in the moment. Um yeah. Yeah, so filming on the project, it began on April 13th, 2004, and the film was done and released by December of that year, which is an insane turnaround time, especially considering we'll talk about the editing process. Dude moves fast, Uh, yeah. yeah, uh, But yeah, final budget. So Soderbergh had said when he set out to make it, he said, I don't want to spend any more than we did on Ocean's Eleven. You know, there's this (laughs) idea that like sequels need to be bigger and better. Um, Didn't quite make that goal, but the final budget was $110 So not like 30 or 25 over 25, what they yeah. had spent before so one, yeah i'm sure some people asked for a little bit more money at that point yeah um damon damon should have damon should have without question damon should have asked for the money. <laughs> uh so for aftermath as i said previously the film was not received well by critics um mm-hmm. if you look up any critique you're gonna see the word smug thrown around a lot um yeah people uh, navel gazing you know people people were were kind of people were mad uh that it was you know these i don't know they were just mad it was like famous actors having a good time which i don't know i like (laughs) yeah uh and they were also very turned off by by the meta humor in the in the finale um one defender of the film was roger ebert who gave the film uh three out of four stars Mm-hmm. I love this quote from him. He says the original, original Ocean's Eleven made in 1960 by the Rat Pack was a send up of 1950s caper movies. The new original Ocean's Eleven 2001 was a successful attempt by Soderbergh to doodle with the formula. Much as a yeah. pianist might pick out a tune just well enough to show he could play it if he really wanted to. Now with Ocean's Eleven, Soderbergh is doing a jazz riff. This mm-hmm. isn't a caper movie at all. It's an improvisation on caper themes. Yep. If at times it seems like a caper, well, as the fellow said when he got up from the piano, it might not be Beethoven, but it has a lot of the same notes. It's a great quote. He he ends this review with, this movie is all about behavior, dialogue, star power, and wise-ass in-jokes. I really sort of liked it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's, it, is, it is, you know, Soderbergh is, is someone who is always kind of torn apart genre and 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 Mm -hmm. hollywood and and every different genre he could get his hands on and and put it back together in his own form and i think this is this is definitely him doing that with a with a sequel and with uh another caper movie and all of that Mm -hmm. um well even with roger ebert stepping up uh for it the uh the film sits with about 55 percent on rotten tomatoes Mm -hmm. it was listed as number 10 on entertainment weekly's 2008 list of the worst sequels of all time well, I can't wait for them to redo that list at some point. <laughs> uh, despite these reviews, the movie proved that star power still worked at the box office. It f- um, fell yeah. short of the insane profit margin of the first movie, but it still made $363 million on its $110 million budget. So yeah. 
those were the days right yeah uh although it was derided as the bad oceans movie for years especially after a warm critical reception for oceans 13 and its return to vegas yep uh soderbergh never stopped defending this movie he definitively named it as his favorite of the trilogy he's called it his best looking movie <clears throat> he's called it his favorite score of yep. any of his movies and he yep. said it's one of the only movies he's made that he can stand to rewatch. i can see that because i think out of all three oceans 11 movies and i love oceans 11 and 13 this is one i feel like you can rewatch and not in like a, you don't have to it doesn't have to be passive if that makes sense it's like mm-hmm. i can passively watch oceans 11 <coughs> and be good something about oceans 12 you still gain so much mm-hmm. from rewatching it and I know some people out there like, but I hate that movie. Like I'm my and my brief clubhouse days, Thomas. I was on an Ocean's Eleven talk, and someone brought Ocean's Twelve, and I'm like, yeah, I agree, it's good. And it was a big talk, and someone goes, "Who said you like Ocean's Twelve? That is trash." And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, clubhouse ain't for me, fam. I gotta get off this place. <laughs> Literally, that was that was it. That's what ended me. I was like, nope, not doing this. This is not gonna be my life. I know me defending Ocean's 12 with people who haven't watched it since 2004. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, I think, I think it's one it's, it has great rewatchability. I agree. I think out of all of his movies that I've seen, that's one that I think it's one you can still just have fun with watching it. And feel like you're getting something new each time. Again, talking about the Brad Pitt, he doesn't leave. It's like, I've seen me a lot. Never noticed that he never left. He just actually sits back and watches them. Mm-hmm. like there's just these little great moments you can find it's a great it's a very layered text we always use that when there's so much here there's a lot to analyze and look at in this movie but it's still a fun breezy film it's not like mm-hmm. a, a a big kind of it's not a drag is the thing so yeah yeah so much like we've seen with kind of we've talked about it many times with other meta films that were disliked upon their release in the late 90s early 2000s um, the movie and Soderbergh's open love for it has earned a widespread reconsideration in maybe the last eight years. Yeah. Six to eight years. Um, and a simple search for Ocean's 12 on Google will lead you to multiple articles declaring it unjustly hated or worth re- worth rewatching or, you know, so much. Of you, I was doing my research and everything that just kept coming up was like Ocean's 12 was, was criminally hated upon or something like that. I'm like, okay, that's nice, but I just need yeah. like some facts <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i mean it's one, even one of my articles is probably that's, in there that, yeah, i think you were like 10th uh, yep. result when you just google <laughs> oceans 12 yeah hell yeah <clears throat> still going strong years later it it still sits at like 3.2 on letterbox which isn't great but um but a quick glance at, if you scroll through just like recent reviews it's all four and five stars yep. I, I feel like everyone who comes back to it uh, mm-hmm. really really loves it and there's several people i follow on letterbox that had reviewed it like i gotta admit i didn't like this when it came out and i came back to it and i love it now like five yeah. stars so we've we've touched on it a good bit but let's let's bring it all together here what what works for oceans 12 i mean the chemistry of this cast is is honestly phenomenal like it's one where like i think out of the three movies it, you don't not everyone gets a moment with one another if that makes sense but like everyone you can tell is just having fun being there mm-hmm. and and whatever scene they're in it's they're having fun they have everyone kind of has great lines it feels like like even when they're kind of like say like don shields example where i think he set aside early on he's not as big as he was in the first one as basher 
mm-hmm. then he has the moment with Scott Con and Matt Damon and all that stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's it's that it, it, that made a little that's made what didn't work, but I think that everyone still has great moments throughout. Again, Soderbergh's direction, I think he's this feels like one of those blank check move movies where he's like, cool, we make a sequel to, to Ocean's Twelve. I'm gonna kind of do whatever I want here, mm-hmm. and there's some there's some freedom in that, and that's that's kind of fun to watch. Um, I love seeing Damon coming to his own here. I think this is where post born identity you're seeing Matt Damon become a movie star mm-hmm. in this movie. I feel like, um, like I said, score is incredible. Yeah, I just it's 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 a fun, engaging, and clever film. Yeah, is what I would say. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it is it kind of embodies that idea of like we're not doing a sequel unless everybody's up for it, and like everyone yeah. is absolutely up for it in this one. And and it is a movie just about <clears throat> if it, you know in the, in the first one it felt it's about getting the team together, and you can also feel that it's about getting this cast together. Yeah. Uh, and this is the one where it's just like these guys want to hang out with each other. They want to improv. They want to yeah. joke around, and we're just gonna we're just gonna let them do it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, like you said, I think it stands as this great movie about sequels, about filmmaking, about trying to challenge yourself and, you know, trying not to do the same thing over again and maybe, maybe hitting some setbacks, but ultimately having a good time and being a better team because of it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Soderbergh was, was knew that this one wasn't going to be as, as, you know, it was going to take a while. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, visually soundtrack wise, Mm -hmm. it it is a gorgeous movie. It is, um, you know, just the way it's shot and, and Soderbergh does some really interesting stuff visually with it. I love the, like I said, the freeze frames, he changes his, his kind of, um, frame rate every once in a while in like a really interesting way. Mm Um, yeah, it's just, it still blows my mind to watch like this, this, this trilogy, yeah. And just think like we were in this world where where one of the biggest film studios in the world handed a bunch of money over to, I mean, Traffic was what probably his only really commercially viable film up until yeah. that point. Yeah, and that, yeah, Aaron Brockovich probably made money because it was mm. it was such a big. Yeah. That was when that was when 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 movies like that could make money. Yeah, uh, is the thing because that's in two thousand. Yeah, it made two hundred fifty-six million dollars the box office. Okay, so but so like, two two under his belt, but both very yeah. stylistically yes. him, you yes. know, and and just gave him the keys to the kingdom, and he made. I, I honestly I can't think of the the first movie, this movie, even the third movie. Although I think the third movie gets a little bit glossier, but um, it does. It does. I can't think of another these these two movies if you consider 11 and 12 together like a a fully studio film that works as a studio film and yeah. also has kind of indie auteur fingerprints all over it yeah and this uh, european yeah you said european type influences where it's like he went he made a european film is what he was trying to mm-hmm. make it feels like too um yeah. we, we don't get stuff like this anymore no. maybe that's why maybe that's why everybody's coming back and 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 reconsidering it now I, I always feel that way. Is I think sometimes in the moment, even certain movies, I ha- I have this very big I talk. I talk about like the the pirate sequels. Is that um, I'm not saying they're masterpieces, but I think sometimes we go back and rewatch. It goes, oh, these are actually fun adventure films. That while it does go into like kind of the lore of the world of this a little too much, mm-hmm. it's not as much as we end up doing like 
the next five years with Marvel and DC. And these, <laughs> it's like actually, oh, it's actually kind of streamlined when you think of it now, because we've we've re- it's like re- we've done so many of these universes and stuff like that and expl- explanations of them all. Pirates doesn't seem that big of a deal, and so mm-hmm. when, when you take that out of it, it's actually kind of a fun rip roaring adventure trilogy. <laughs> Uh, but in the moment we were just like, what is this like Davy Jones and these other worlds and this voodoo mm-hmm. queen and all this. And it felt just a little odd. And I think oceans 12 in a different way. And I think I'd say it's better than those movies, but it's just saying they were like, Oh wait, this is so different than what we're used to now. We just were in the moment we were, we were expecting an oceans 11 movie and we mm-hmm. didn't really get that. It's the same people. We just didn't get that. Yeah. It was the thing. Yeah, Exactly. But a lot of times nowadays you don't see you don't always see movie stars being movie stars and having a ball doing it. That's mm. the difference. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so what doesn't work here? I I mean I I I don't I mean I think maybe it's too complex for some people. Maybe that's the only thing I can <laughs> say. I, I I get it. I understand it. I get the hate around that. I think it takes a lot of views to watch it and really kind of understand and comprehend it sometimes. Maybe that's a negative. I don't really take <laughs> it as that. So I don't really have anything with this. Do you have something with this? Is it, if we're talking about con movies, is is this a bad con? Did they put way too much effort into this? I mean, well, question, is it, a, it's like, it's like, is it a con because they actually just kind of get insider information? Like it's basically, <clears throat> that's the thing. It's yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, and I, I guess, you know, ultimately the idea is like Lamarck never really wanted this competition to happen. It was, it was more that, that the Night Fox, uh, made it happen. But yeah, yeah. Lamarck's just kind of like, yeah, here's what you need to do. Do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's really all I have. That's really all I have on that one. Okay. so yeah yeah all right cool um so got some film facts okay um a lot of these have to do with the deleted scenes because there are oh. there's a treasure trove there but i really? will say real quick we'll say real quick the laser dance scene you probably yeah. already know this one that is all vincent cassell's no like, no stunt no stunt double at oh, all no, I, f- I figured that i figured that that's uh, wild though which i think because he's he studies capoeira um yeah and when I first heard that, I was like, oh, my gosh, how do you pull that off? That's crazy. But then I realized they just kind of put him in a room and had him do capoeira and then, you know, animated the lasers. The lasers afterwards. After yeah. the fact, uh, yeah. kind of around his his choreography. But it's still yeah. great. And then obviously, you know, uh, for anyone who's seen it, this it's the whole scene is an homage to Entrapment, which is Catherine Zeta-Jones, Zeta-Jones doing, yeah. doing that in, the, in yeah. the lasers. But she does not uh, she doesn't do quite as many flips. No, <laughs> so it'll, it'll be more probably more sexualized version of it yes. if I remember correctly. Yes. The clips I've yes, seen. for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, so Soderbergh said the hardest part of rewriting the Honor Among Thieves script with Nolfi wasn't making it fit as an ocean sequel, but it was trimming out all the ideas that they added that would have made the movie incredibly long. Um, but many of these ideas were obviously not trimmed before filming, as the DVD contains over 30 extra minutes of deleted wow, scenes. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, one near final cut of the film, like they they have the credits put over it, um, but at one point it would have opened with an extended sequence of the meet cute between Rusty and Isabel. Um, it's yeah, it actually it opens on Isabel in the Pantheon and Claire de Lune's playing, so it's like a weird like oh. pickup, like exactly exactly yeah. where uh the last one left off but um 
when she so she she sees him running from the cops and then she like goes to the police station and is like hey i'm with interpol uh who's do you know if they arrested this like white man blonde man that was running from the cops and they're like no we didn't catch him uh so then she starts going back to that cafe to look for him and then she ends up spotting him and he is with uh bernie mac and eddie izzard at the cafe um i feel like so, i did this at one point at one point yeah I, I, this is ringing a bell now and then they have kind of an extended scene where they where they talk and then that's that's the opening of the movie and the, yeah. the opening credits roll over that um it, there was definitely a lot more romance it was definitely leaning a lot harder into the romance there there are also yeah. several deleted scenes of them together mm-hmm. there's some continued flashbacks of them being together oh uh, there are multiple different takes of Linus's intro scene. Um, so you you mentioned his line where he says he's only used a million for was it research and development, recruitment, development. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the joke of that in the in the deleted scenes is that all of the versions that they shot and then deleted involve Linus becoming a mentor to twelve to thirteen year old criminals in Boston. <laughs> there's there's one that opens with him on a bench like talking to someone you can't see, and he's talking about like you can't tell her you can't tell her about you know being a criminal she's not going to accept you like i yeah look at look at this guy he was one of the greats and he told his wife and she turned him in so you can't tell her and then they cut back and it's like a 13 year old and he's like but you know i just my mom you know <laughs> <laughs> um and then there's actually one where he's got like a group of 11 like preteens, and he's giving yeah. them like a modified version of the speech that Danny gives at Ruben's house in the first one, where he's like, if you're out now, that's okay. You can call your mom and she'll come pick you up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fun. That's but, um, yeah. All of those got, got scrapped. Yeah. man. All of those versions ended with, uh, Benedict's two guys like walking up on walking him. Up. And yeah, then yeah. that leads into the scene that, that ultimately they leave in the movie um also included in deleted scenes are several regarding basher's uh burgeoning rap career yeah. uh you know they do have him in the studio in that intro but um Cheadle recorded a song and they shot a music video for it that was going wow. to be cut in cut into the film somewhere that just all got cut yeah i mean it does it does feel like Cheadle gets kind of the short end of the stick with some things in this movie like compared mm-hmm. to the first one he's just not as involved and they try and make up with that in the third one where he's like posing as the motorcycle jumper mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I think it just all became wrapped up in like what <clears throat> there's there's a scene. There's an extended sequence of when they like check into their hotel in Amsterdam and it's like uh-huh. the brothers are like fighting over who gets which bed. Yeah. And um, uh, what's the uh, what's the the tech guy's name? Um, oh, oh, Livingston. Livingston, Livingston doesn't Livingston doesn't know what a bidet is. And so he like is using it as like a water fountain. Um, but but Basher is just like like writing like he's got his, his the walls of his hotel room like filled with post-its with like rap lyrics. Oh, like, there there is a scene where Linus is is like on the phone trying to get rusty, and there's there's post-it notes around mm-hmm. the wall. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I think I think it turned into this thing of like once they were like, all right, let's cut Basher's rap storyline. Then it was like, oh, that is like everything his... Don Cheadle had in this oh, movie. Man, okay. Um, Damn. And then a few things that were cut from the script and deleted scenes would later become kind of recycled for Ocean's 13. So Mm -hmm. the script originally had both of Linus's parents stepping in to help out at the end of the heist with Clint Eastwood originally slated to play Linus's dad. Wow. 
Um, some scheduling issues led to Eastwood backing out. The role was trimmed down to really just like a, a cameo. And Peter Fonda flew out to Rome and shot at least wow. one scene. That one, that one's not included on the deleted scenes, but he was on set and, and went on camera as Linus's dad. And, and, that, uh, was cha- and that was changed in thirteen. With, with yeah, the, who, it became uh, Super Dave. Bob yeah. Einstein yeah. Uh, played him in thirteen, but it was a pretty major part, you know, in that movie. Yeah. Another scene that's deleted from the film um, that was intended to play. There was a sequence at the end before the poker game that was going to show everyone kind of settling back into life um, yeah. before they come together for the poker game, and it was uh, it had Linus kind of perfect it shows that linus is now proficient in like matsui code talk yeah and he's meeting with a russian fence played by ellen barkin who is like <laughs> flirting with him while they're talking in code speak so this kind of humorous sexual tension between barkin and damon would obviously be played up when she got a very major role in, in ocean 13 wow i didn't know that so they the caster cut it like we'll give you another role in the next movie yeah yeah uh, perhaps the most interesting sequence in the deleted scenes is an abandoned cut of the scene where Benedict tracks down each member of the team. Uh, but this version is played almost entirely in still images. Oh, interesting. I, it do, I don't think it works as well because there's some yeah. really nice moments like yeah. in there. But uh, it's still really interesting with, to see Soderbergh playing with these yeah, like, crazy wild. visual styles. Yeah. But yeah, we just wouldn't have got to see Andy Garcia say Epcot Center yeah no you don't see that you get like Uh, they'll be like they'll play like a little bit of audio over mm. the images as they're playing so like you get like you get the punchline for livingston's mom joke and the and like that nobody's laughing at it mom Um, mom mom, mother (laughs) mom but but yeah it's it's pretty wild it's it's you can find the deleted scenes on youtube but that that one's worth watching just to see you can see that soderbergh's like pushing himself you know yeah. through through all of this movie and and that one that one doesn't work but it's cool yeah cool to see him try it's interesting yeah yeah. getting into awards okay uh, this is beatrice tough. straight award actor actress limited scenes that kills it this is probably the hardest one i think i might think mm. so like because there's so many people with like one off two off scenes or whatever mm-hmm. like hmm. i love bruce willis in this I love bruce gu- willis my gut is saying Andy Garcia. Mm. All right, let's let's list them real quick. So Bruce Willis, yeah. Andy Garcia, Albert Finney, Cherry Jones, uh, yeah. Eddie Izzard, Robbie Coltrane, Robbie Coltrane, Topher Grace, like Topher Grace. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Um, but is Andy Garcia in too much? Is the question. Hmm. He's in like the opening, yes, but then he like he's shown like maybe three more so times. Two, I think two more scenes. He has There's... the phone. Yeah, it's two more scenes. He has the phone call with with Talur, and then he has the ending scene with Elliot Gould. Mm-hmm. So I I wouldn't put him as supporting if they, like just because of based no, on no. that. Um. All for right. me, I yeah, I would for me I would go Andy Garcia. I love all the rest. It's difficult, but Andy Garcia just for that opening is right. incredible is incredible i'll give you that i'll give you that okay. i'm a big cherry jones guy love cherry jones but cherry jones um, is great just yeah. you saw her in succession this is my mm-hmm. first time i think seeing her like noticing who she was at this point in time mm-hmm. um but yeah get up, get up. Walk. walk i'd like to say a few words 
about commitment, about honor, about responsibility, about a very special someone. And admitting to her, get up, pull the chair out. Admitting to her in front of everybody that her wedding and that very special honeymoon trip to Epcot Center will have to be postponed. The Annie Potts X Factor Award for the supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable. And okay, so here's with this. It's like, who qualifies for this, for this role? I would say everyone except for the top three. Okay. Except for, for Clooney, Pitt, Damon. Okay. Do you agree? I agree. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think because I like, I'm going to nominate Catherine Zeta Jones here, but if you think she I, she's, I, I would nominate her here as well. I would put her in supporting as well here. I think she's like I don't I don't consider Julia Roberts a lead in Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. I think she's still more supporting. Um, so I would put Jones here as supporting. Okay. And I would I would go with her as well. Yeah, same. I think she. I think, I think she. We've we've talked a lot about kind of the European feel of this movie, but I think she's she's got this like <clears throat> she fits in with the with the humor and with the pacing yeah. of everybody else, but she does give it this kind of the the dreamy romantic feel of it all. Uh, I I think she's I think she's fantastic, and I think she sl- she slips right in to this crew, and um, it's so much fun. That's I think that's why it's so fun to see her show up to the poker game because the whole time you're watching the movie, you're like, yeah, they're at odds with each other, but like everybody here would really get along i think yeah yeah i love that you know oh aren't you a lefty yeah oh aren't you left she she is she is as well as oh oh and then she's oh i call marjorie or whatever and she's Mm -hmm. the 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 flight from new mexico you just got on a flight plane from mexico or new mexico to la Mm -hmm. uh they called uh they want to push me to 130 if you're cool with that (laughs) and well and willis is kind of like I knew it wasn't her. Like the way his face is, it's just like amazing. <laughs> oh man. I suppose it's a compliment in a way. I guess he's threatened by you. Though I can't imagine why. You have no idea what you're up against. The French police think he's better than Lamarck. Well, he is French. Let me give you some advice. Find out how you offended him. Apologize. Beg for mercy. Got to go. Oh, any message for Frank? He's been hanging around the station. What charge? Well, we found a print of a size 14 high-tech magnum boot at the crime scene. And? Bought with a fraudulent credit card. From that point on, well, there's only one, maybe two great nail salons in Amsterdam. Gene Hackman, MVP award. Who's the person that carries this movie? I mean, I think you got to go with Soderbergh here, right? It's yeah. like, like, I think the closest is probably Damon, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I think it's Soderbergh overall to actually to balance all of this stuff and to, and to juggle all these different uh, individuals, basically, and the schedules and getting basically somehow putting it back together um and while not in the moment at the time but later becoming a really good sequel mm-hmm. i think that's a very difficult task 
Um, it's, I, I think it's so interesting to go back and watch the first one because because you think back now and you're like, oh, it's like Clooney, Pitt, Damon, like same level, you know? Yeah. And and when they made the first one, like, yeah, he had an Oscar, but he he wasn't like he wasn't a big. It's like he did Town to Mr. Ripley. Like he was still like this young like up and comer. It's Town mm-hmm. to Mr. Ripley and like Legend of Bagger Vance. Like he wasn't really. And then 2000, 2001 with, with Ocean's Eleven, and then 2002 with Born Identity is where he really kind of yeah, takes Born, Born was what does it. And and when you go back and watch Eleven, I think especially because of having seen this movie, it's like you think like, oh, Linus is like, it's it's the three of them. It's it's Danny yeah. and Rusty and Linus. But in the like, I do think Linus is a little elevated above some of, you know, Linus obviously has more to do than like Yin or Livingston in the first one. But it's still it's it's still like Danny and Rusty. Yeah. And then like the rest of them, you know? Yeah. So, so I think it's the combination of his actual career taking off and then Soderbergh being like, Linus is the really interesting character here. Yeah. That And, and Damon just steps up and then he, and then he kind of takes over this movie in, in a great way. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I think, I think it's Soderbergh. Like I, yeah. I've said multiple times, like this, this just doesn't happen in Hollywood. No. Uh, no. I, these, these movies are the perfect example of what could happen i think it's it has led to to many many failed experiments with indie directors making uh blockbuster movies and and some of them do it very successfully but don't they don't manage to put their fingerprints on it in the way that that he does this is entirely a steven soderbergh movie the outside is covered by five independently wired surveillance cameras. Monitored 24 hours a day by a security company. You got five exterior cameras? Mm. This guy's a freak. Super yeah. freak. What about going through the roof? No. Two more cameras. Pressure sense. Please don't touch And there's a, a laser net over the trap door leading down. Smoke the, the freak out. Yeah. Yeah. Smoke the yeah. freak out. Hey! What? Do we have to use that term? What term? Freak? I mean, the National Institute of Mental Health estimates that 5.6% of adults develop agoraphobia at some point. Whatever. I'm just saying. I mean, do we... I, I don't think we need to be the kind of organization that labels people. I'm not an organization. What, would you call Emily Dickinson a freak? Are you hosting a telethon we don't know about? Who's Emily Dickinson? <laughs> am, I, am I the only one who feels funny about stealing from a, you know, a handicapped guy? I don't care. Yeah. Final questions. So I, I tasked you with the sixties remake and, and you said Frank, like Frank Sinatra. And I said, no, no more, more like what Soderbergh was aiming to make here with kind of a, a, a free floating European comedy. So wh- who, who do you have? I, I we're not okay. doing all 12, but no, um, no, I'm, I'm kind of doing the top three. I, I'm kind of, I have names. I don't know where they fit, so I'm kind of I'm gonna say some names out, and we can kind of place them together. I think. Okay. Um. So, I think two names that popped off popped out to me. Um. Well, here are my three my three top guys. Mm-hmm. Paul Newman. Okay. Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Sean Connery. Ooh. Those are my three kind of names that 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 got to me at this moment in time. I think I think normally I would put Newman in in like a Danny role because <clears throat> that's basically what he does in in uh, the Sting. But I think yeah. out of that group, I, I think Paul Newman would be the Rusty out of that out of that group. I kind of yeah. agree. I kind of agree. Maybe Kane, Danny, or maybe I don't, maybe Kane, Danny, 
Connery, Rusty, Newman, Linus, Linus, possibly. Um, I can see Connery as a Rusty. I think Gene Wilder's Livingston Dale. I'll just throw that out there right <laughs> now. Um, okay. Natalie Wood would probably be a good uh, Isabel if we're going that way with like uh, um, at that period um, for Captain Zeta Jones' role. I feel like you could put Elliot Gould somewhere as like a younger, like not mm-hmm. as Elliot Gould later. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he could be actually a Linus if you wanted him to, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I th- I think that the top three, it's like I think Connery, Kane, and Newman were the three big ones. Uh, are you doing? Would we do Elaine Delon as the as the Night Fox? I would. Say, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, let's see who. Yeah, Warren Beatty's in that era. I don't know if I'd put Warren Beatty in this. He could be good. But in terms of like European feel, I just like the idea of Connery and and Kane for some reason. Bruce um, Dern, I feel like you could drop Bruce Dern into into this You probably this could. I think who would Bruce Dern? Who'd be a good Bruce Dern or Bruce Dern? Um, I feel like he, he might be like a good Scott Con. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can get a brother for him, like I think Scott, I think it'd be a good Scott Con character. Um, I think uh, Portier would be a very interesting like if if you beefed up frank's role uh, like like bernie Mac's role i think Portia mm. would be a really good frank as well um so yeah that though that's kind of the people i have for, for that right. i'll um, watch it okay and pro i don't know who, who would direct it like john frankenheimer maybe <laughs> i think or uh or J- yeah john borman or john frankenheimer i would say okay. it would do that um so yeah uh so does this fit into other genre, any other genres other than a con movie i mean you can, you can probably put it in it's like you can kind of put it in heist if you wanted to because they are trying to steal something but they're just doing it through cons is the thing mm-hmm. um i think the, the <clears throat> overall overall idea is a con um so yeah I'll, I'll go with i'll go with heist movie like i i i said this for for uh dirty rotten scoundrels with um with david i would say it's a postcard movie basically meaning it's like this travel log like mm-hmm vacation style movie but postcard is like we're we're showcasing these people you love in this location that's very new and fresh yeah i think you know i think if you come at i think that's probably part of i think the difference between a heist movie and a con movie is probably part of why people were initially disappointed with it yeah um because <clears throat> while the, while we've said before the first one kind of leans more into caper it is still like a heist yeah. heist caper kind of thing and with this one you know you're watching it and then they start up the amsterdam job and you're like oh yeah here we go all right yeah ice time and then it's like oh that didn't work Pivot. And, yeah. and we're showing it through like a double flashback yeah um and then you know and then the next thing they steal is breaking into the night fox's house and we don't see any of that yeah um and then you know the the last thing goes completely wrong and then you find out you know like we said it's, that's yeah. that's all been a con disguised as a heist um so yeah. so yeah i think it is kind of playing with yeah i think it's a it's a con movie that's that wants to trick you into thinking it's a heist movie and i think it tricked some people too well to the yeah. point where it made them mad yeah no i agree but definitely definitely like a road movie uh mm-hmm. like we said kind of a hangout movie it it, yeah. it gives it just gives it time to breathe and and that's something the first one is so slick I agree. And yeah, this yeah. one is, and th- there are some great like quiet moments. Like I, I, you know, it's one of the best parts in the first one when they're at the bar and 
and you know rusty's not talking and danny's doing the you think we need one more one more yeah you think we need one more um but you know in, in i don't think the pace or the atmosphere of the first one would would lend you the like watching happy days <laughs> scene yeah. yeah um so yeah i think that's kind of the beauty of it is it is this blending of like a lot of different yeah. specifically european genres uh with this kind of con heist conning you into thinking it's a heist all wrapped up in it yeah no i agree completely so along those lines how does yeah. this fit into the con movie genre well the big thing is like the perspective of it all like i said con it's like you kind of a, a difference between a con and a heist movie for the most part is like are you from the perspective of the person doing the conning the person that's being conned and i think with mm-hmm. us that this movie we're we're from Talur's perspective mm-hmm. like because while we're not seeing him watch them we we now later we know later on that he's watched them the entire time. So yeah. like we're we're, we're and, and Isabel. Yeah. And so we're being conned like they are. And that's a big part of this genre. I think the, the kind of freshness to it, the kind of breezy like uh pay or pace and kind of world is the thing. Um I guess it's very much a caper, it feels like. Um but I think the perspective is the really big thing here that mm-hmm. kind of turns it into a con movie. And then just the the kind of the slang terms they use and kind of building that out of like the lingo and everything. Um, uh, but, but it's really the perspective as the, as yeah. the overarching thing. And, and I think, you know, a little bit more concerned with their personal life and their personal arcs. You know, we get yeah. a Linus arc, we get a rusty arc, Danny, we really only got a Danny arc out of the first movie. And, and yeah. so he's just kind of good now. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, now let's let rusty and Linus shine. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it, it does feel like this, this extended romance and this, kind of coming of age for for linus almost all all feels a little bit more con oriented than a than a heist movie would yeah i mean in a way it's like we talk about dirty rotten scoundrels like you're you're seeing steve martin kind of learn the ways of michael kane in that movie Mm -hmm. um so yeah all right is that anything else well yeah i think so we finally did it we talked about this in our sequel month way back when and we finally were like we should probably do an episode this one day and i was and then we now now we did we did it it's it's a good month, Thomas. It's a good month. Mm-hmm. Um, next week we're talking about uh, Peter Bogdanovich's Paper Moon, kind of a a more low rent type con artist with uh, Ryan O'Neill and Tatum o- Ryan Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill. Uh, so that's next week. Dave and I will be talking about that. Um, we'll also be talking about some point Thomas and I on the Fish Called Wanda on our Patreon. So please uh, support us there if you can. One dollar, five dollar, ten dollar uh, subscriber levels, tier levels. Um, you get more exclusive content episodes newsletter stuff all that all that good stuff and hopefully maybe more stuff as well in the future um so please have can uh and if you have any questions for us or feel free to contact us at sendationpodcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments or kind words uh if you're a new listener or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us be sure to do so as soon as you can so you can stay updated on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on our podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already be sure to write us review your preferred podcast platform oh let the sun beat down upon my face <laughs> stars fill my dreams i am a traveler of both time and space time to be where i've been well let's take that and say and five stars to fill my dream because that's the <laughs> review that you should leave for it. uh nice one nice one and and finally don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter instagram letterbox and tiktok thomas as always thank you for joining me thanks for having me and thank you all for listening we have to listen to more episodes soon bye